You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Thank you again, Ben, for leading us through a time of worship, a time to meet with God this morning, and now we're going to continue through the Word of God. We've been worshiping our great God and our great Savior, Jesus, but now we are going to turn to the written Word, turning your Bibles to Acts 28, and, and, and we've been saying that for over 40 times now as we have been going through this message series through the book of Acts, and it is a powerful, it is a mighty, it is a great book, and, and uh, Acts 28, ushers are coming forward, they have Bibles in their hands here as well as in life. Stream. Live stream, folks, thank you for being in there uh, for us there this morning to, to make room in here. We want to keep seeing God add to our numbers, not for numbers' sake, but for His glory's sake, to see people saved and transformed and sanctified and matured in their walk with God and the encouragement of God's presence. I trust that even in the live stream room there, you would sense God's presence and God would be at work actively in your heart, in your lives. Each one of us here today, we need a touch from Him. And so if you need a Bible, if you don't have one, we'd love a copy of God's Word in every hand here this morning. Uh, Those ushers will give you a Bible, and uh, we'll be looking at Acts 28 in a moment. I'm sure that every one of us can think of a classic movie, or at least maybe a classic movie to you, uh, a cliffhanger of some sort, or a TV show where, where we call it a cliffhanger because a cliffhanger is meant to leave you hanging. It's meant to leave you wanting more and, and building the hype and interest for a possible sequel or the next episode. And if, I, if you do a Google search on it, as I did this week, these are some of the titles that come up as, as, as some of the some of the big cliffhangers of all time, and, and whether that's Empire Strikes Back, and never watched a Star Wars movie in my life, I know you can shame me, but, uh, and I even, uh, I feel very good in saying that. Um, Back to the Future too, great movie like that one. You know, Lord of the Rings, same thing, don't get it, just don't get that kind of uh, entertainment or, or whatever, and then of course the TV show 24 that just keeps you leaving after episode after episode, just waiting, wondering what's going to happen next. Well, well, we have that in movies, we can have cliffhangers. Well, in, if classical stuff is more your style, in, in, in 1822, Franz Schubert uh, wrote a symphony. Uh, it was entitled his Eighth Symphony, but is now famously called as the Unfinished Symphony, where after only two movements, it abruptly ends. It doesn't have a completion. He, he still lived for another six years, and people now are wondering, did he ever get to it? What, what was going on? And so it has been entitled The Unfinished Symphony, and it leaves the listener, the music lover, just hanging. Well, at, in Acts 28, as we're coming to the end here of this amazing book, the book of Acts ends rather abruptly. It's almost like there's some unfinished business, like there's supposed to be a sequel, and it's leaving us wondering, well, what happened? What happened in the end? And, and so we're awaiting this sequel to, to, to the book of Acts, and, and in fact, the book of Acts is being lived out. There is a sequel to it, and, and yet we don't know what happens. Luke, the, the writer inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't tell us what happened to the Apostle Paul throughout the years after his imprisonments and, and that Did he appear before Caesar? What happened to the church in Rome? What happened to the church in Jerusalem? The book of Acts doesn't tell us, but church history does. You see, the book of Acts is not a biography about the Apostle Paul. It is the story of Jesus. And it is the story of the Apostle Paul's faithfulness that we see throughout his life and fulfilling the mission that God had for him. But it is more, the book of Acts is, about the spread and the triumph of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is the hero, not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, who we see earlier on in the book, or any of the disciples. Christ is the hero of this book. And it is the story how the gospel, the message of Christ, was taken and proclaimed from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And yet the way that the book of Acts ends, as we'll see here today, implies a continuation. That there should be an Acts 29. And indeed, The chapters do keep getting written. You and I are part of that next chapter. The church of Jesus Christ, the unstoppable mission of God, continues on. I wonder if Luke, the author, the doctor, the author of the book of Acts, as well as the gospel of Luke, if if he showed up here and spent a month at Hope Bible Church in Kelowna, 
What would he have to say? What would he write about our church and about the progression of the gospel? Are we fulfilling the mission and the mandate that we have been given? Are we doing that as a church collectively? Are we doing that individually in our lives? You see, Jesus said in Matthew 17, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is going to build his church. And it's not going to be us doing the building. We come alongside and we faithfully serve and we minister and we we roll up our sleeves and are part of it. But he's going to build it with us or without us. And it's so much more exciting and life-giving and faith-altering to be part of his mission. We don't want to miss out on that. To be part of fulfilling God's mission, it's not going to be easy. Last week we saw in Acts 27, Paul's journey to Rome. It was not easy at all. Here we see a man so faithful to God, who experienced things that went throughout his life and even throughout this journey eventually to Rome where things went from not bad to bad to not good at all to worse. And it just kind of went from bad to worse. And not only was he going to Rome in chains on board a a ship, they got caught in a terrible storm that lasted 14 days, beaten and battered, not seeing the sun during the day or the moon or the stars at night, totally disillusioned as far as where they were drifting at sea. And then it all ended in a shipwreck. And, and, and as you can see here, the progression as we saw last week. We see this progression taking place. And, and yet with that wicked storm became an incredible opportunity for Paul to stand on that ship. For the 275 other people on that ship, they all stood there and and they experienced a man of God standing up with great courage. After receiving a word from God, Paul stood with incredible courage before the people and led them to safety. It wasn't Paul's doing, it was God's doing. And it all happened because he was faithful to what God was calling him to do. I wonder today, are you and I being faithful to the call of God upon our lives? God has placed us in certain neighborhoods, in workplaces, in a family, in the places that we frequent often, the city that we live in, the relationships that we have, our friendship groups. God has strategically placed us where he has placed us. Maybe you don't like where he's placed us. Maybe you want to move. doesn't matter. God has placed you here for now. And this is where you are to be faithful. This is where I am to be faithful. And he has placed us where he has placed us to bear witness for Christ. To be about the unstoppable mission of God. And Paul lived out this unstoppable mission. He lived it out faithfully. Even to the end, we see that he was faithful in declaring the gospel to the Jews and then eventually to the Gentiles. How about for us? Whose mission are we living for? Whose mission are we fulfilling? God's mission or our own personal mission? And we've asked God to come and join us on it. So oftentimes we can do that. So oftentimes we think, I pray a prayer, I go to church, I'll read my Bible when I can, and I'll give some coin, you know, when, 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 there's, you know, when God's been extra good and I've had some blessing in my life, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll serve, you know, I'll help out in that way or I'll serve in the church or in the community and if it works and fits kind of my schedule, if it makes me kind of feel good, I get the worms and fuzzies and it's like, woohoo, I love that, you know, and, and so we kind of think, okay, yeah, I'm about God's mission, but it's on my terms. And yet, sadly, our lives can basically be about fulfilling our own wants, our own desires, our own dreams, and God has very little say in that because it's all about us. We want God to join our mission, our agenda, rather than joining his. And his mission will continue to, com- to, continue to be an unstoppable mission that will happen until there is a new heaven and a new earth. And until then, we w- would we remain faithful? And, and just this morning, as I met with some, uh, some men to pray, and, and, and just kind of this enlightenment or just this kind of illustration, and it's so minor and it's so you know, incomplete, and yet it maybe gives us a little bit of a picture of, of what we're talking about. 
We're coming to the Christmas season, and you, you know those, you, you get your awkward family photos, and, and I trust that you're going to send some of those in because we want to see some awkward and some nice ones and just build this towards this great family night that we're planning in, in December, on December the 15th, but, but encourage you to send those in, and, and if they're awkward, even the better. But you know those awkward Christmas moments where you're doing a gift exchange, maybe it's with your spouse or with your family, your children, or with someone, and, and you kind of cheaped out this year when it came to giving a gift to that person, you know? Like, you just were cheap, and you just, you know, just kind of thought, eh, they didn't give me that much last year, you know? We never think that way, do we? You know, and, and, and so it's just like, oh, I'll give them a pair of socks. And then that person, you receive a gift from them, and you've given them a pair of socks, and they, they broke the bank, they went all out. They bought you the latest iPhone or they bought you the latest toy or gadget or that, that, that wrench that you've been wanting so badly for your garage or, you know, that power tool that you're, and, 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 and I'm saying this because yeah, it's probably as guys who do it the most. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you've opened up this gift that this person went all out and you were so cheap and so thinking of yourself and, and you just didn't do put much thought or preparation into that gift and you're just sitting there like oh man I blew that one and you're thinking I better get boxing day specials going or something like that I got to make up for this you know folks I believe that when we stand before God in heaven that one day that one day we're gonna, there's gonna be tears in heaven and he will wipe those tears from our eyes. Don't, even though popular songs might say no tears in heaven, that's not true. And I believe there will be tears shed over wasted opportunity. When we could have seen how we could have been a part about the mission of God and we live such small little self-centered lives about me, myself and I, my comforts and not the unstoppable mission of God that he invites us to be a part of. Just this week, I've just been convicted about, and even this morning, just working through this and saying, whose mission am I a part of? You can easily say, oh, Melvin, a pastor, is, you know, of course he's about the mission of God. No, I can be about, a, a part about my own personal mission and reputation. And we see here in the Apostle Paul, and we see it ultimately in Jesus, people who were part of the unstoppable mission and were faithful to the end. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 is a motivating verse and a reminder for us. If you have been raised with Christ, if Christ is your Savior, if you have trusted him to be your Lord and Savior, you've gone from death to life, you have then been raised with Christ. He goes on to say, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. We ought to be so heavenly minded so that we're actually some earthly good and making a spiritual, eternal difference in the lives of other people. Not just living our lives, wondering who's going to win the next game, and what we're going to do here and there, and plotting out just the course of our lives. Not to say that that's wrong, but it's seeing that everything we do, and everything we're a part of, we are to be about the God-glorifying, unstoppable mission that he invites us to be a part of. We have the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. Proclaim Christ. Later on, we'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes, he says, we are all ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent him wherever we go, whatever we do, as God calls us, as he leads us, as he takes us through the journey of life and, 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 and uses us and, and, and we're on his mission for life. We are to be ambassadors for Christ, living and serving his interests, not our own. First and foremost, him first, ourselves second. And yet so often our affections and our focus are on the things of this earth. We get so wrapped up and so motivated by the here and the now. And sadly, so many believers, I believe, will go to their graves without living or fulfilling God's mission. Instead, settling for smaller or lesser things. And today I want to remind us we can live for greater things so that we can go to our graves maybe earlier but more victorious. So that when we are in heaven, we say, I went all out for you, God. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your rest. As a part of seeing I was so selfish and I was so cheap and I was just wasting my time here on earth when I could have been about so many other things. 
We're living for paycheck to paychecks or bank accounts or careers or retirement or certain advancements that we would be living for to make a name for ourselves, a social media presence or a career workplace presence name for ourselves. We live for comfort or leisure, our plans, our wants, our own desires. We live for very little and small, focused little things day after day. And here we have been invited into the unstoppable mission of God. Are we going to join? Are we going to be a part of it? Or are we just going to walk out of here at the end of the day, walk out of the live stream service, eh, yeah, good sermon, you know, well, got, got me a little bit, you almost got me. You know, no, when is he going to get you? When will he get our heart? And we'll say, listen, I'm all in. Unstoppable mission. I want to be a part of that. To the day I die, would I be faithful? No matter what discouragements and, and storms come our way, because guaranteed they will. And so in chapter 28, we see from the Apostle Paul, we're going to see today six requirements for you and I, how Paul lived this out and how you and I can live out the unstoppable mission of God. And the first point in here is to live this out is not allowing discouragements to defeat God's mission. And we see this all throughout the book of Acts. And we see it especially last week as we looked at chapter 27. Let's start here in verse 1, though, of chapter 28 now. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So at the end of last week, at the end of the chapter, we see at the end of chapter 27, the story of the great storm and how at the very end they were coming near shore and then the ship hit kind of a, hit, hit the rocks, hit a sandbar and ended up being slowly, was starting to, to disassemble because of the waves and they all had to jump ashore, grab, grab some wood or swim or get, get to shore, but they all made it safely and they crash landed to a place that is now called St. Paul's Bay. This is an incredible tourist place that you can go to today. It is, uh, in the summer season, an amazing place to go. But that day that Paul and the other 275 on board crashed onto that shore in that area, it didn't look that beautiful because the storm had been raging. Now it was starting to rain. It was cold. It was the winter season, which winter isn't like our winter, but still it was the cooler winter season with the winds howling. They had no clue where they were, and they were loved by the Maltese people. They're on the island of Malta, this beautiful Mediterranean island. They built a fire for them. They started to feed and clothe them, and we see throughout this chapter they cared for them. They loved them. And oh, how good that fire must have been for the Apostle Paul. And, and, and maybe it was a great big bonfire. Maybe they had a few of them going so the 276 all could gather around there. And the Maltese people were probably bringing them, you know, some hot chocolate, you know, made with cocoa and goat's milk. Goat's milk kind of plays in a little bit later on. We'll see here. And, and, and as Paul is perhaps sipping this hot chocolate around this fire, finally warming after 14 days at sea, feeling probably still kind of like wonky because of the sea, you know, kind of that seasickness that they would have had. And I'm sure he's going through the latest circumstances of what was going on, the storm, the shipwreck, everything prior to that, the prison in Caesarea, the beatings, the false accusations, the highs and lows of the three months or the three missionary journeys over the years of seeing God do some incredible things, but also the discouragements and the beatings and the prison and the, just everything that went, the dangers that he faced continually as he was serving God. And like Paul, we must understand to be part of the unstoppable mission, there will be times of great discouragement and confusion. And as we talked last week, there will be devastating circumstances that will come into our life when we're doing everything right. We're serving God faithfully. We're desiring to make much of Him and less of ourselves. And there's times that we're going to go through storms in life where we may even despair of life itself. And yet we press on. We don't give up. David, Job, great heroes of faith, got to certain points in their life where they despaired to even live. And they said, God, why don't you just kill me? And I'm sure some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are even there right now. You just think it would be better if I wasn't alive. That's not true. That's a lie. But we can hit those low points in our lives. And Paul hit that low point on that ship. All hope was gone. And you can listen to the message, it's online, there's um, CDs, co copies, I believe, at the info table as well, but it's available online. How God can sustain and see us through the shipwrecks of life. 
Paul did not allow the discouragements to defeat. So, 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 so that's point number one. We see that from chapter 27 so clearly. Second of all, let's continue on here, verse two. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, we'll just stop there. Next point. The unstoppable mission requires serving, serving faithfully even in the little areas. You know, not one little dot, one little word has been misplaced in the word of God in this little statement that we get of the Apostle Paul. We can so quickly breeze over it, but God puts it there for a reason and a purpose. What was Paul doing? He gathered a, gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. Here we have the mighty Apostle Paul. No doubt tired and weary. We're going to see a little later. He was old by old standards back then whose leadership and courage saved the day for those people on board that ship. And what is he doing? The mighty, the great Apostle Paul? He's out gathering sticks as other people are warming by the fire. He's a servant leader. To be part of the unstoppable mission means that you're a servant leader. We see that in the Apostle Paul. We see that in Jesus. What was he doing the night before he was betrayed? The night before he went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, what was Jesus doing? Washing his disciples' dirty, stinking feet. And here we see the Apostle Paul collecting wood for the fire. His actions remind us that no job is beneath the servant of God. No job. John Stott said, it's only the little man that refuses the little task. That's a great word, isn't it? We don't like it, but it's very true. It's only the little man that refuses the little task. Here's another important reality and one that we hold on to here at Hope. If serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. That one of the key requirements and principles for people to lead anything here in the life of our church is that they would first and foremost be a servant leader. They would desire to serve faithfully our God, serve others in various ways. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 20 who were bickering about leadership positions in his kingdom and as he was getting everything they thought he was getting set up for this earthly kingdom and they were fighting and battling and kind of arm wrestling and doing different things. I'm like, I'm going to be great. I'm gonna, you know, and all of this is going on. Is you want to be truly great? You want to really be great? Be a servant. That goes totally against the world standards, doesn't it? There are jobs that become beneath you as you rise up the stepladder, the totem pole of life. No job is beneath the servant of God. To be part of the unstoppable mission of God consists of humble servants almost literally tripping over themselves for the opportunity to selflessly serve others. I'm thankful for the many faithful servants that at times here will even trip over themselves to help. But you know what? We're constantly... The work of Christ to move forward, for to multiply, requires more and more servants of Christ ready to trip over one another and say, hey, help me. You need help. I'm here. I'm there. Let's continue. Verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat had fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hang, hanging on his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has now allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Then they were waiting for him to swell up and, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. Point number three, the unstoppable mission of God helps us to understand that it, it means caring for all people even the fickle. Paul is gathering wood for the fire, a snake, a viper that's in its winter stupor comes, comes to life all of a sudden and he, and he bites him with his fangs on Paul's arm. And I almost wonder, I don't know, when I was reading this this week and I thought, man, if I was the Apostle Paul, more than likely, and you might say, yeah, I would, that would probably have been the straw that would break my back. Where at that point, would have thrown it into the fire, would have taken that thing and go, really, God? Like, in my mind, anyways, because people have to see how holy, really? This is what I get? I've gone through all of this for you. I'm on the ship and I'm seeing these people to safety. I'm collecting fire because everyone's sitting around here warming themselves with the fire. And now I get bit by the snake. Great. 
That's, you say you have anger issues, Melden. <laughs> we all have a point break, don't we? Or we easily could where we just say, we tap out, I'm done. Paul continues, he cares for all the people even though people can be fickle. People at times can be so fickle, so wishy-washy, so in, so out, so hot, so cold, so committed, so uncommitted. Yet we see Paul continuing to care, to love, to serve, even the fickle. Let's continue verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of the place where lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably, entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened then that his, the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when, he had ta- when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put us on board with whatever we needed. The fourth requirement for being part of God's unstoppable mission is being available to be used by God, His power flowing through us. Here the Maltese people show great hospitality to Paul and to the shipwrecked survivors. And Paul then understands that Julius, this man's uh, father, was sick with dysentery. Now, this dysentery was also called Maltese fever, which was a bug or a parasite that they would get from goat's milk and would cause a person to have terrible, terrible diarrhea for up to three months to three years. So he was sick, and oftentimes this sort of dysentery would take people's lives because they would just get so depleted. And Paul goes, and he, there's no big theatrics, no show, no, yeah, yes, be healed, like you'll see on TV now, that crazy stuff that happens, right? None of that's going on with Paul. No, he just simply goes, lays hands on him, and he prays. He prays God's will to be done. God, if it be your will, would you heal this man? And he was healed. God's power flowing through Paul. He was simply being available. He was doing that next thing. Then we see all the sick people from the island come and Paul prays for them and they're healed. Paul did not have special powers in and of of himself. He was simply being a vessel by which God could use him so that God's power could flow. An unstoppable mission means being available to be used by God. That his power would flow through us. He was simply available. Not only was there physical healing, but we end up learning that the Apostle Paul, he must have been proclaiming Christ. I mean, come on. That's just a part of his nature. It's years later, as you see through church history, that 98% of the island identified as Christian. Not only was there physical healing that came, there was incredible spiritual healing. How God used a shipwreck and a man who was available Even when he was tired and weary, he allowed God's power to flow through him. Are you available for God to use? Or does he need to book a time on your calendar? You see, your greatest ability, my greatest ability, is our availability to God. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 to his disciples, and he says it to you today if you are a disciple of his, here in the main worship theater in the live stream room, Jesus said that his power will come upon us, that Holy Spirit power will come upon his children. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And then daily he desires to fill us as we are cleansing ourselves of sin and we are dead to sin and alive to Christ and we ask his Holy Spirit to fill us and he will use us in a daily basis. Power that is not our own, his power flowing through us. And his Holy Spirit will come in and through and we will be used by him in various ways. Whether it be through prayers of healing, whether it be acts of service, sharing the good news of Jesus with others. He can use us to bring change and transformation to a life, to a family, to a community, to a city, to a nation. 
Jesus promised an endless supply of power that is available. And this power is available when we surrender our lives daily. When we surrender our lives initially to Him as our Lord and Savior, and daily we surrender our lives to Him as our Lord, as our Savior. God, today I am yours. You ever pray that in the morning as you get out of bed? God, I'm yours. And maybe the moment you get out of bed, you're like, oh, I really need you, like with the aches and the pains or whatever, you know, or whatever you can be facing. Oh, God, I am yours today. Would you fill me? Would you use me? Would you transform me into a greater image of your son today? I'm yours. God, would you be glorified in me today? May I become smaller and God, you become greater. To be a part of the unstoppable mission of God requires being available to be used by God and his power through us. Let's continue verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Again, you see how superstitious the people are here. You see it before where the people were thinking, oh, Paul, oh my, he's, he was bit by a snake. The, the gods of the sea didn't get him. Neptune didn't get him, but the gods of justice got him now with the snake bite. And now we see again here, we see the, the twins of safety, protection that are uh, at the front of this ship. These were the gods for safety and protection. And verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patoli, good Italian little town there. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And I'm sure that there the pasta was flowing for those Italians as they were welcoming Paul and having a great time as somehow in some way the church had spread out through the diaspora and, and, and there were brothers there, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and, and they stayed there for seven days. And here we see on the map the progression that in getting to Patoli, as, as they would say. There we go, they make it through there. Now, the ship stopped at Petoli because the place in Rome to be able to unload large ships, the seaport wasn't deep enough, wasn't large enough. Later on, they would expand it, but at this time, they couldn't accompany this large grain ship that uh, was there, and so they would then take it either by land over to, to Rome, or they would take it on smaller ships. Oftentimes, it's at this point of Patoli, people would then walk to Rome, the famous road to Rome. And so they began their 150-mile journey after spending some time being refreshed with some pasta and some good times with fellow brothers and sisters. I don't know about the pasta part, but thinking grain ship, you know, unloading there, there's endless and great amount of grain, and what do Italians like? Of course, they probably, that's where it all started. And so it says in the end of verse 14, we came to Rome. And the brothers there, although they're not quite there yet, they just kind of tell us this is basically how we got to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Underline that if you're an underliner in your Bible. Paul thanked God and took courage. The fifth way Fifth requirement to be a part of the unstoppable mission of God is the giving and receiving of encouragement. Here Paul is walking this 150-mile journey on foot with the other prisoners and the soldiers. And believe you me, this is not how Paul had envisioned his hope, his dream to get to Rome. He had planned and he had hoped and he prayed for this day oh, for so many years. And this is not how he saw it all working out. Paul was arriving in Rome as a Tired, beaten down, at least 60-year-old man. In the, in the standards of that day, he was old. Today, 60 is the new 40, we're told. But in those days, 60 was like the 90 to 100. I mean, they just didn't live. The age of expectancy just did not go that long. So here is the Apostle Paul, having served the Lord faithfully for over 25 years, involved in so much for God, seen the power of God at work in his life and through him in the lives of others, seen churches planted, people saved and baptized, seen elders taught and trained, established. 
and seeing churches grow and thrive, but then also the imprisonments, the beatings, the dangers, the going hungry, the being on the run, being in, in danger from bandits and from high rivers, and, and now four shipwrecks on his resume, then the snake bite, and now a 150-mile journey to Rome, a walk of shame as he is wearing chains. The chains that criminals would wear. He was wearing the chains alongside of other criminals who were being tried for capital crimes. As they would come into the cities, into the towns, pastor buyers would see them and look and no doubt jump to conclusions and, 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 and see, you know, what a criminal, what a terrible man. They would just assume, of course, the worst is so oftentimes we do, not knowing the whole story. In the towns and villages, people would think he's a terrible man. He's probably going to the Colosseum to be torn apart by the wild animals. All of this would take a toll on anyone, including the Apostle Paul. But as we see 43 miles away at the, at the Forum of Appius, and then 33 miles away at Three Taverns, 43 and 33 miles from Rome's brothers, from Rome come to meet him and to welcome him. Somehow word had spread that the Apostle Paul was coming. He had written the book of Rome, uh, of Romans, or the letter to the Roman people four years earlier when he was in Corinth, and no doubt they had read that letter, and, and, and many people would have memorized it as they would often do so in the day, and copies had been made and distributed, and now they find out Paul is coming, and so they travel 43 and 33 miles to see the Apostle Paul and to welcome him on the journey. And it says here, just even upon seeing them, they didn't even say anything. And it says in verse 15, he says, he saw them, he thanked God, and he took courage. Paul had blessed and encouraged so many people along the way through the years. He had the blessing even here of, of Luke being with him and Artichus was with him on this journey. In the past, he had faithful servants like Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and various many others who came to encourage him. And, and Paul wasn't about to quit, but no doubt he was depleted. And just the presence of these people just brought such new courage to the Apostle Paul. The word encourage means infuse with courage. We all get worn out in the service of God. We all get worn out, moms, dads, in your parenting, in, in desiring to, to raise your kids well, to love them, to care for them, just not physically, but spiritually, it all takes a battle. For every Christian who desires to walk the talk and live for Christ and make a difference and serve the Lord and give of yourself, there will be attacks and hardships and trials and an uncertain future lay ahead of us at times. And yes, the ultimate source of encouragement comes from the Word of God, it comes from the Holy Spirit, it comes from prayer and worship, but also a necessary, as we see here, that inspired and gave Paul new courage was the encouragement of other brothers and sisters. And this is the beautiful thing that we see about the power of presence. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that if you are in Christ, we are all members of one another. We all care and take an interest in one another. And what this meant to the Apostle Paul was massive. To these people, they walked 43 and 33 miles there and back. It charged him up. It gave him new courage. It doesn't even say that they even had to say anything. And you know, I think at times the power of presence can even be more impactful than the power of words. When people go out of their way to show up in your life in a way that they don't need to, it comes at a sacrifice to them. It can mean so much when we're in the midst of the trials. It means so much when we get burdened and maybe even vulnerable towards even wanting to turn our back on God, on our faith because of what we're going through and to have someone show up in your life, a timely text message, a hug, an arm on the shoulder and say, keep going. You know, even when we gather on Sundays, we oftentimes think of the power of the pulpit, the power of the proclaimed word of God. But what about the power of presence? 
The power of the pew. I mean, these pews are pretty pewy in some ways because they are so... Uh, if you're wondering why it's a little cold in here, is I felt it was a little warm and I didn't want anyone sleeping because you come in here to watch a movie and you just want, I fall asleep if we've, when we've come in here just even recently. I, I dozed off, it was a little warm and I don't want you sleeping. So I, I, I texted the ushers and I said, hey, crank the air. We need a cool in here. And so, so even strangers might become friends. You're going to huddle. That's okay. Uh, I'd rather have a cool than, than too hot and you fall asleep in the comfortable pew. But there's the power of the pew, there's power of presence, that when you come to church faithfully, you commit to be part of the body of Christ, and you come week after week. For me, when I roll in here, usually around 7.45, knowing that there are people who have been working and serving here since before 7 o'clock, getting things ready and, and set up and sweating it out, and you hear laughter, and you hear, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, I don't know what's happening. When I see that kind of thing, it powers me up just in seeing them. It encourages me, it blesses me, it strengthens me. During the service this morning, I was able to duck into the Hope Kids rooms and, 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 and see what's going on there and, and going into the live stream room and, and seeing what was going on there as part of the worship and, and seeing just people, just, just the body of Christ. It fires me up when we see the presence of God's people. Because after all, I'm not just the pastor. This is where we have put down our roots as a family. This, is, this church has been responsible for laying a foundation for our kids as a church for five years, but even before that, for the two years that was happening in meetings and prayers and became this foundation for our family. And it's a power of presence. And just even showing up, even though you may not know each other's names, you're part of the body of Christ and you should get to know each other's names. Stay after the service. Don't rush out. Get to know someone who you don't know. We're part of the body of Christ. But just the fact that we are here together, we're in the live stream room, we have this going on, can mean so much to a discouraged and depleted follower of Christ. But sadly, in North American society, we oftentimes think we don't need each other. We think we can make it solo. It's so arrogant and unbiblical to think that you have to stop it because you can't and you won't make it this way. We all want Amazon Prime when it comes to church, right? Order as much as you can for the least that you can, and if you can stay at home, all the better. Don't even have to see anyone. Don't have to put up with the crowds. Don't have to put up with whatever goes on, fighting for parking spots. And yet, we need one another, and here are some of the ways that we need one another. This is the power of presence, but this is also takes the power of presence even further into the, the power of community. Here's some ways that we need one another. First of all, in our victory over sin. James chapter 5, verse 16, to experience ongoing victory over sin, we need others to walk with us, to pray with us, to confess when we fall and when we're falling short, when we're struggling, when we're in the battle, to hold us accountable. Another one is encouragement. First Thessalonians 5.11, write down these verses and go home and read them and, and, and then let's, let, let's make sure we're applying them as, as God's word instructs us to do. First Thessalonians 5.11, it says, encourage and build one another up. Then there's exhortation. Hebrews 3.13, exhortation is encouragement with a kick. That's really what it is. It's, it, it's encouragement. And in Hebrews 3.13, the writer of Hebrews says, especially as the day is approaching, as we're approaching the last days, that we are to exhort encouragement with a kick. One another, how often? Weekly when you show up to church? No, it says daily. <laughs> daily we are to encourage one another with a kick. Hey, how are you doing in that area? I'm praying for you. I love you. But how is it going in this area of struggle, in this area? Is, are you experiencing victory or is it a day of defeat? Let's pray. Kick each other's butt in Christian love. Exhortation. And then the pursuit of our missionary calling. Second Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Keep the main thing the main thing. Hey, we need to keep charging each other up. Hey, are we keeping the main thing? Are we ambassadors for Christ in the workplace, in our homes, in the office, out in our community? Are we sharing Christ? Are we inviting people into relationship with Christ? This is our calling and this is what we are to encourage one another to do. Tonight, our prayer focus is really going to revolve around this, that we would pray for and with one another. I believe that tonight you come for prayer, you will be strengthened as we have this prayer night at 5.30. Please come, it's a night for everyone to come. Worship the Lord, pray together, be encouraged, charged up, because it's biblical. This is what we ought to be doing as a church. And then number six, and, and lastly, the unstoppable mission of God requires passionately proclaiming Jesus regardless of circumstances or results. Verse 16, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself 
with the soldier who guarded him. So he was on, in house arrest and was, was basically, they believe, chained to a guard during this whole time. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. You see, here, here's Paul. He, he knew his audience. He's even, as he gathers these leaders around and says, hey, listen, I'm here. You might think I'm a criminal. Yes, I'm chained and, and, and this is all going on, but look at the freedoms I have. You can come, you can go. I mean, the charges, I mean, they're brutal. They, they won't stand up in court, in a sense, is what he's saying. They're, they really had no reason for this, but part of the whole judicial system, I'm here. And he says, but now I get to tell you about the hope of Israel. Notice, though, he knows his audience. If he would have said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Right then and there, they would have just tuned him right out and said, Jesus, yeah, right. But he brought them in because he talked about the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the promised one that these Jews were still looking for. Verse 21, and it says, And they said to him, We have received no letter from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoke any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you of what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So they know he's kind of mixed up with this sect, or kind of, it's another word for a heretic group of people. We want to hear you. After all, you're talking about the hope of Israel, and that gets us kind of excited to hear about Messiah and, and that. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him as his lodging, at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here he's using the Old Testament to just show them and convince them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. He patiently, he, he, this went on for 10 to 12 hours at least. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And these were the words that ended up causing them to leave. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. And if I would heal them, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. It says some listened, some did not. Some rejected the truth, some believed it. It happened to Paul, it will happen to us. But if we remain faithful in proclaiming Christ, in proclaiming Christ as the hope of Israel, the hope for our nation, Christ is the only hope for our homeless problem here in Kelowna. Hallelujah. It's the only answer. It's our only hope. It's the only hope for a marriage that's in, in a terrible struggle. It's the only hope for the prodigal. It's the only hope for any of the battles and the struggles we're facing. It's the hope of Israel. And that's what we get to talk about next Sunday and going into this Christmas season. The hope of Christmas is Jesus. But he remained faithful in proclaiming Christ and proclaiming the hope. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And what we read from church history, but from other books of the Bible, it was a revolving door of people that came to see Paul. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. That's the end of the story. Don't you see how it goes dot, 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 but there must be more, and there is more. 
We understand that Paul lived here for two years under house arrest and then believe that, again, don't know for sure, that he made a brief appearance before Nero and the case was, was eventually tossed out because of lack of ed- evidence, no accusers came. And, but during these two years, a revolving door of guests came to meet with Paul. And what did he talk about? The kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And he talked with boldness and without hindrance. During this time, he wrote four prison epistles, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so it was a spoken word, it was a written word. He just kept busy, just, just proclaiming Christ in, in, in faithful witness. And in the two years that, that he was chained to one of the guards, could you imagine a guard getting chained to him? It's like, you know, 12-hour shifts or however long the shift would be. You know, they get chained to him, and Paul turns to him and says, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus. What are you doing for the next 12 hours? Well, I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. And we know that he made influence in, the, in, in Herod's guard because in Philippians chapter 1 and then in verse 4, we see that, that, that the, the guards, Herod's guards, many of them had come to faith in Christ and later on, the members of Caesar household sends the greeting to the church in Philippi. Why? They're all getting saved because Paul just couldn't shut up talking about Jesus. Some rejected and many believed. He remained faithful. After two years, he was released and traveled yet again and, and went on some more journeys and trips. At this time, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. Some believe that he went, he, he, well, we know he went to Macedonia. He went to Corinth once again. He, he went and saw dear and faithful friends along the way. Some believe he even made it as far as Spain and even into the British Isles. But two years later, he was rearrested, brought to Rome, wrote 2 Timothy, and died, beheaded by Nero in 66 A.D., He was faithful to the end. I ask you today, whose mission are you on? The unstoppable mission of God or yours that is going to stall out, fail out, and end up leaving you with sadness and regret at some point in your life and at the day that you see Jesus Christ if you know him personally. Are you committed to his mission today? What needs to change in your life? What needs to be rearranged? What alterations need to happen? To refocus once again on the unstoppable mission of God. We are here today. We hold Bibles in our hands. We hold them in our hands, understanding and oftentimes not understanding that to hold these Bibles in our hand came at great cost. Blood was shed over the copying of the Word of God to preserve God's Word for us here today. Throughout history, men and women have sacrificed greatly so that the Word of God could come to us here in North America unhindered, that we can proclaim the Word of God today unhindered. And no matter what government regulations come our way, we will be able to proclaim the Word of God unhindered because it's the unstoppable work of God. And either we're a part of it or we're going to miss out.